Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to Basically, I'm your host Stephanie Preisner and this is a mailbag episode. So I have put a question box on Instagram and asked you guys to give me your questions, which I will answer by myself um, in a sort of a wandering, elliptical thought process that might be hard to follow sometimes. So apologies for that. The questions vary from the personal about the questioner to the personal about me and then to science. So we're going to be jumping around. So strap in, get yourself coffee. I have one. And here we go. So first question, do you fear change? This is from Mags. Do I fear change? I do fear change. My first book was called Why Can't Everything Just Stay the Same? I would love if things could stay the same. Um, And I thought for very many years that that was just how everyone was. But some people love change. In fact, my best friend, Rachel, she hates stagnation. Like if something is the same, if there's too much routine, she sort of goes into orbit like Sandra Bullock in Gravity. Um, But I just don't like not knowing. I think if change, if I can know enough about what the change is going to look like, like when I was a kid at the end of every year of school, I would want to know, who my teacher for the following year was going to be, where I was going to be sitting and what classroom I was going to be in. And for the most part, I was sort of indulged in that. Um, And unknown changes really throw me. Um, So you can imagine I'm not really great with surprise viruses or pandemics. And I'm struggling to know, you know, so I struggled with the lockdown, but then when the lockdown became the new normal, I struggled coming out of the lockdown. And now the constant changes are sort of um, debilitating. Not, yeah, sort of debilitating. Not fully, but I do notice it in my sleep. I notice it in my mood. I notice it in my capacity to concentrate on things. I haven't been able to read a full book in months. And I used to read one book a week last year. I did the reviews on them on Instagram. So, yeah, I do fear change. And I, when the big changes come, like when my nana died... I think everyone struggles with grief, um, but it's the the things that are now hitting me are how my life has changed without her. So, yeah, I do. I fear change. I hate it. If I can ever make change not happen, I will do that. And to the detriment of, of myself, sometimes I will stay in friendships and jobs and reading books that I don't like just because changing it is actually too uncomfortable for me. So there's that question. Next question from someone who's called Marfrey. Do you think people in the public have gotten tetchy or grumpy recently? (laughs) I feel like this is a very loaded question and based on her experience. um, Do I think people have gotten grumpy recently? I think people are afraid. I think people are tired. I think they're missing their loved ones. I think they're missing the things that they used to do. It's interesting, like, if 
everyone has a coping mechanism, right? For some people, it's alcohol. For some people, it's drugs. For some people, it's yoga. For some people, it's Netflix. For some people, it's the gym. For some people, it's therapy. Everyone has something. And during the pandemic, in the early stages, everything was taken from us. We couldn't go to the gym. We couldn't go to the pub. It was hard to see our therapists. We could go for a two kilometre walk. We didn't have our own space. Um, And I think that people are starting to feel that a little bit more now. Even as things wake back up, we are feeling how delicate the situation is. And I think there has been, we've had these guidelines given to us. And for sometimes they're guidelines, sometimes they're laws. And looking at people you love doing the opposite of you. So whether you think the laws are too stringent and you want to have a house party and everyone around you is like, oh no, I'm too scared. Or people around you are having house parties and you are trying to follow the guidelines. People are doing the pandemic in different ways with different regard for public health, with different regard for other people's safety and with different levels of caution. And I think that leads to a level of grumpiness, as the woman put it here, because because we're not all playing by the same rules, which is understandable because sometimes the rules are not very clear. So that's that question. How do you think the COVID-19 experience is going to affect our relationships with friends? Yeah, I think that how your relationships change during this is kind of scary and also kind of fascinating. Like with friends, with boyfriends, with girlfriends, with wives, with husbands, with children, the relationships are changing all of the time. Like the novelty of it has all kind of worn down into an uncanniness uncanny steadiness Um, the closest relationships are hit most I think I I find myself yearning for specific people Um, outside of the people I've been isolating with like I yearn for specific people and I'm scared about when I might see them again I have had to establish ground rules with people that I love, with my friends that unlike any I've had before, like I'm not, I'm I'm pretty, I have rules around me. Like I have pretty strong boundaries where I'm like, no, I don't do this. I'm not going to your wedding. I don't like this. I don't like that. But like these restrictions and these ground rules are very robust. Like I haven't hugged anybody even when they've been like, ah, sure, look, I'm grand. Like, that's just not acceptable. So those are kind of things that struggle you struggle with with relationships, particularly if people around you are huggers and you love them and you know that they have been isolating as well and they are safe. But, you know, it's difficult. Um, I've had to learn to occupy a separate but together state. And that's kind of starting to feel normal. So I'm separate from a lot of friends who I'm in relation to. and but we're together in my thoughts or we we Zoom or we do whatever. But so much so, it's happening so much. Like, I think you have to understand that people are going to make mistakes as well. Um, you know, I've... I've uh, Someone offered me Vaseline the other day. You know the way when like, you have chap lips and you, you like women particularly would like hold out their Vaseline tub to see if you wanted some kind of like chewing gum that's a real phase five pre-COVID activity Um, and like we were both wearing masks and we were doing all of the other things and then this I like reached out to take some Vaseline and I was like oh Jesus what the hell am I doing like and then I was beating myself up about it Um, 
And it's those tiny moments of intimacy that feel the hardest to restrict, you know, where you're like, this is a small thing and and you don't want someone to take offence. But um, I think the thing with friends and saving friendships during the pandemic is that humour becomes a saving grace. Banter kind of helps us to avoid the defensiveness that I see in so many friendships and relationships right now. Um, and like, I'm not just because I'm anxious about COVID does not mean that that I'm consistent about the the restrictions or the new rules or incorporating them, synthesizing them into my life. It's hard to remember the things all the time, and so kind of bickering happens. Um, but yeah, uh, one thing that I do like is that I'm experiencing a new type of intimacy just with strangers, like a casual glance when someone steps back away from you in the supermarket, and we both kind of roll our eyes and smile knowingly that there's a there is a sort of a we're in this together if you can look for it. Um, and that kind of helps. Um, so that's that question. How can I learn to be more assertive with my opinion? Assertive with your opinion. I guess your opinion, it's your opinion. So you can be damn sure that that is your opinion, if it is. But I think I'm at my most assertive when I have thought about something. And I know it to be true because I have considered it. I think actually not being very assertive with your opinion is often a strength. Like if I can have an opinion that when I'm in conversation with someone is open to changing or adapting, that's actually, that's a good place to be in because it means that you have an open mind. And it means that the things that you, the things that you really do believe you can be assertive on and people will know, oh wow, she's very assertive on this thing. So that must mean that she's strong about it. Do you know what I mean? I'm kind of not being very clear there. How can I be more assertive in my opinion? You'll be assertive when you know something to be true and then don't feel the need to be assertive when when you're when you're not feeling that confident in it. So that's that question. I'm not sure if it's helpful. If you didn't have this career, what do you think you'd be? A guard. I wanted to be the first female guard commissioner. I went to Temple Moor for two weeks. And then I got an acting job. I've talked about this before. I think maybe on the last mailbag episode. But definitely a guard. I love the guardie. And I love the rules of being a guard and the establishment and the uniform and the knowing what to do and um, helping people to feel safe. And yeah, I think I, and I think I'd be a really good guard, actually. Or maybe a politician. Um, so yesterday on Instagram I said that only 67% of people would take the vaccine based on a study that I read Um, you can read it on the government website I think it was by hmm, I'll put it in the show notes where the study was from and someone has asked me to delve into the reasons why people wouldn't the reasons why people wouldn't take a vaccine. And these are, so these are not anti-vaxxers, okay? So anti-vaxxers are a whole different breed of people. But I know a lot of people who get all their vaccinations every year, they get their flu shot or whatever, and they also would have a hesitance about taking the COVID-19 vaccine if it became available this year. I think it comes from the media and the messaging around the vaccine, which has been like, we're going to do it so fast, it's going to be the fastest ever. And people mistaking or people feeling that haste will happen, that a mistake will happen because of the speed and they will be reluctant to take it. 
I think overall vaccine reluctance or vaccine hesitance comes from Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who has done more damage to this world, I think, than any other man. He published an article in The Lancet in 1998 saying that the MMR vaccine was linked to autism. It has since been debunked. It is not true. It is nonsense. There is no science behind it. It has been debunked so many times on so many platforms. And yet there is this residual distrust of vaccines because of it. It has led to political movements. There are literally parties that are, particularly in the States, like in Texas, there is a, you know, like people against vaccinations. There are people who won't vaccinate their kids, which puts everyone else at risk. Because if if only 60% of people take a vaccine, then the vaccine has to be very effective in all of those 60 people in order to, and all vaccines aren't always 100% effective. But if 80% of people take it, it it's okay that it's a little bit less effective. So all of this talk of getting a vaccine, it doesn't matter if we find a vaccine for COVID-19, if people won't take it, if people are hesitant to take it. And that is a huge worry. It's a huge public health concern globally now that we are going to find a vaccine. There will come a day when we have a vaccine. And if the messaging around the vaccine is not um, enough, is not calming enough to allow people to feel safe to take it, then there is absolutely no point in us having a vaccine at all. So there's that. But if you want to know more about it, you can read into how messed up Dr. Andrew Wakefield is and how much damage he has done and how vaccinations do not cause autism. What do you think of, next question from Taylor, what do you think of working from home? I'm in a company with a thousand plus employees and they're starting to bring people back and this person wants to continue working from home. I think that working from home is um, public health advice at the moment because anywhere where people gather together is, is, is a risk. And I think that for some people working from home really works for them, particularly if they have um, a house that doesn't facilitate the work environment that they need to do their work. And I think a lot of people are actually dying to get back to to the office because their living situation is like I know people who don't have broadband, don't have access to Internet, who have to drive several miles in their car to park in a car park all day and work from their car because that's the only place that they can get Internet access through their phone to hotspot their laptop off their phone. It's it's a nightmare. And I, I think that companies, some companies work pretty efficiently from home. And then some employees are like, well, I can do my job perfectly from home. I don't need to go back to the office. But they don't understand that they're part of a bigger cog and maybe they're a small cog and part of a bigger wheel. And maybe just because they can do their job at home, the, the I guess, the, the chain that they are part of works more efficiently and more functionally when everyone is in the office. Whether that be, I don't know, access to a server or being close to managers or whatever. Um, I think it's easy sometimes for us to think, oh, the company are being difficult and not facilitating the life that I now want. Whereas a discussion, I think an open discussion with your boss about why you would like to continue to work from home is often, you know, if you can make a good case, they may con- they may let you work from home. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know enough about that person's specific details to... Um, to comment, but I think that some people 
working from home is just not is, is actually quite a nightmare. Should kids be taught about our country's laws? We're expected to follow them, but I don't know them. I think that would be a great idea. Like, we know the ones that kind of affect us in a very immediate sense, like what age you can drink at, what age you can drive at. But there are laws that some people don't know. I have a a, a friend who has one of those electronic scooters and he was on a bridge the other day uh, wearing a helmet, at a tr- stopped at a red light in a bike lane and a guard pulled him up and was like, I can take that off you. You're breaking the law. And he was like, what law am I breaking? And he was like, don't give me lip or I'll take the I'll take the scooter. If I see you on that scooter again, I'll take it. And I've been looking into it. I can't see any law that my friend was breaking. Um, so I think a more transparent legal system where the rules are printed. Now, I love rules, as I've said before, and I liked in school when they were hung up on the wall. You're like, all right, OK, so this is what we do here. Um, or that like when you go to Nando's, the friendly Nando's worker comes over and explains, this is what you do. This is the menu. You go up to the till, you order, you pay, you sit back down, we will bring your food to you. I just like when things are explained in a very clear way. So I think some sort of system where the laws of a country are very clear, laid out in black and white. I don't know, on a website, on a wall somewhere so that you know and people can't just make up random laws to try and catch you out. Next question. If there was a place you would recommend traveling, one place you'd recommend traveling to, where would it be and what to do? Um, I actually just took a sip of my coffee. Um, I don't love traveling. I don't love adventures. So I like to travel to the same places I've always traveled to. And I'm not at all interested in in roughing it. I don't like camping. I don't like being cold. I don't like any sort of challenge. I like luxurious places that are comfortable and warm and have um, all the mod cons, as my nana would have said. And so in that regard, you know, my recommendation is going to come with that in mind. But um, I've had two opportunities. Um, I have a cousin who has special needs and I have travelled with her and her family to Hawaii twice. Um, She swims with dolphins as a therapeutic and uh, sort of occupational care for the specific special needs that she has. And I've had that opportunity twice in in 20... 2003 and 2014 I believe and um, it's an incredible place Kona in on the big island of Hawaii and if you get a chance to swim with wild dolphins not in like a park just go on a boat and if you happen to see them get in the water it's sort of it's magnificent and it gives you a sense of um, it gave me a sense of how I guess insignificant I was and how all of the things that we get wrapped up in just really don't matter and gives you a kind of a connection to to the to the planet in a different way, I guess. So that would be my recommendation. But I also really love Inchidani Hotel in Cork. So you could go there. And uh, where else have I been? I love Germany. I'm from Germany. Heidelberg is a particular, uh, uh, lovely, p- particular a place particularly close to my heart. So take all of those and see if you'd like to go, but 
none of those places are what you'd call an adventure. I've no interest in backpacking anywhere or interrailing anywhere. I want to talk to you about ketchup for a second. Yeah, like actual tomato sauce. So you might remember that the old ketchup bottles were glass bottles, right? And then you couldn't like stick a spoon in, you couldn't stick a fork in, so you'd end up having to shake it out, hit the side of it, and then the tomato went everywhere and it looked like blood. And then all of a sudden the plastic bottles came along. Well, the plastic bottles didn't just come along out of nowhere. They came along because of UX design. Now, it wasn't called UX research back then, but in the 80s, researchers went and they watched families using ketchup and they noticed that it was mainly the kids who wanted to eat the ketchup. But because the bottles were so difficult to use, the parents had to put it on their plate for them. So they came up with the plastic bottle idea so that kids could squeeze their own ketchup without it going all over their plates. Today, UX designers and research carry out that kind of research every day when building apps and websites and software. They identify and fix problems that make the experience of using the app or the website or the software just simpler, like swapping an awkward glass ketchup bottle for an easy to use squeezy one. If you found that interesting, you might want to look into the UX Design Institute, today's sponsor on this podcast. The UX Design Institute deliver university credit rated online courses in UX design. So if you're considering a career change or you want to find out more about UX design, visit uxdesigninstitute.com forward slash basically. When it comes to understanding political issues, I am a self-confessed toddler. That's why I've enlisted the help of Steve, my politically savvy drinking buddy, to help me better understand politics. Every couple of weeks, we get together and record on topics like what is the politics of language, what is Watergate, how the internet is killing democracy. We take these big issues and we break them down into silly little comedic bite-sized bits. If you like the sound of that, then search for What Am Politics in your podcast app of choice or find us here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Um, who is your dream podcast guest and why? I thought about this one. It's like when you're asked, like, who's your ideal dinner party guest? I, the reason I have people on the podcast is because they have information I want. And so my dream podcast guest is is anyone who can answer whatever particular curiosity or query takes my fancy that day. Um, there are people I would love to interview about what they're, what they're, lives are like um, Mary Robinson will be one but not particularly because like for any other reason other than I'm kind of fascinated to, to actually just have a chat with her um, and then I want to talk to a plastic surgeon about what that's like I want to talk to a nurse about what getting COVID was like if if I can do that I'd like to talk to um like, what are things I want to know about? I want to know about, uh, I mean, it takes, it, it, at the moment I'm looking at a diffuser that's um, spewing out sort of essential oils into the room because it's in the podcast studio. And I just kind of want to, I want to speak to an engineer about how that works and how electronics that have water in them work. But I just get curious about different things on different days. So there's no real one person that I want to have on the show. It's more about like, anyone who can answer the things that I wonder about. So I hope that answers that. Um, what is your five-year goal? I don't make five-year goals because 
they make me obsessed and I have an obsessive personality and then I end up feeling kind of useless when I don't make them. So I just wake up in the morning and try to do the next right thing. How did you meet your boyfriend when you don't like to attend social gatherings? That's a good question, I suppose. Um, I met my boyfriend. Okay, so I used to do book reviews on Instagram. And because I've written two books, sometimes the publishers of my books send me books that haven't been released yet to read. And I try not to read them. I tried not to review them before they had come out because I think it's really frustrating to review a book that people can't buy. And I did this one day in, in January. So this was the first the, st- the first month of the year that I did the book every week. And I reviewed my favourite book ever, which was called Once More We Saw Stars by Jason Green. Absolutely beautiful book. And this guy messaged me. <clears throat> Loads of people were messaging me about the books, but this one guy messaged me and was like, I've tried to order this book and it's not available. And I was like, oh, sorry, you are right and I've done a really annoying thing. It's not out until May. It's now January. And he was like, oh, that's grand. Um, sure, I'll pre-order it anyway. And uh, he mentioned where he worked and he works in a place in town that's kind of a interesting and sort of obscure place to work. You don't meet many people who work there. But I happen to have a friend who works high up in that place and I was meeting him that day for lunch. So Noel, who's my boyfriend, was mentioned that he was on his way into that building for work and I was like, I'm actually going there later this morning to meet this person and I can bring the book and you can have it. And I have done this before. I've posted books to people or whatever. So... This is a building you can't really get into unless you have, you know, like ID and you work there. So I was meeting my lunch person in a cafe around the corner. So I told Noel that that's where I was going to be. So we met in a cafe around the corner and I gave him the book and we started talking. And that was grand. I gave him the book. We had a nice chat and I left and I met my friend for lunch. And then later that day, I realised that I lost my wallet. So I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to message Noel now and I'm going to have to message my lunch friend and... Oh, anyway, because my friend bought lunch. So I messaged Noel and I was like, did you happen to see me and my wallet when we met for coffee earlier? He was like, no, I didn't. Have you lost it? I'll go back to the cafe and check, which was very lovely of him. It wasn't in the cafe. It wasn't where I'd had lunch. I searched high and low. I drove like I was doing media training at the time and I thought that I'd left it somewhere like getting out of the car. So I went back in the middle of the night and then Noel was texting me being like, did you find it yet? The next day. So we were kind of texting back and forth about that. I went back to the cafe the following day to look, to like retrace my steps and I met him again. And then he kind of counselled me through like coming to the decision to cancel my cards. So I cancelled my cards. I met him on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and I cancelled my cards on the Friday and 30 seconds after I cancelled the cards, the guards in Pierce Street rang me to tell me that they had found my wallet it had been handed in. Cash, cards, everything was in it. And so I texted Noel and I was like, I found my wallet. Well, the guards found my wallet and I'm on my way to pick it up and I'll meet you for coffee. And then I met him for coffee again. And then later that evening, he texted me and he asked me on a actual date. So that is how I met my boyfriend, because I don't like going to social events. The social events part of it, I hate them. I don't go. I don't go to parties. I don't go to weddings. I don't like them. I don't like being in crowds. I don't like being around people who drink. I don't like being around... No, I don't mind being around people who drink. I don't like being around drunk people. So once people have had two drinks, I leave. 
And that's just like my bottom line. I don't do it. I don't like doing it and I won't do it for anyone. So luckily I lost my wallet and got myself a boyfriend. How do you avoid beating yourself up when you say no to group invites? Well, this is a similar question to the last one. I don't beat myself up because I always say no. So I think now at this point people are inviting me knowing that I'm going to say no. I still appreciate the invite, I guess. Um, I don't beat myself up because I imagine how I would feel at the event. I imagine the emotional hangover I would have the day after from having to talk to people, how exhausted I would be. And I I kind of, I call it parenting myself. So I say no and then I kind of parent myself into being like, as if I was a small child, being like, you did the right thing because you don't like those situations. They don't suit you. They make you anxious. You are, you know, I'm looking after you by not putting you in those situations. And that really helps. And also just having people around who don't expect you to go also helps a lot. At the start, when I stopped going to those things, because I used to, a couple of friends would be sort of annoying about it. And those people aren't my friends anymore. And that was tough for a while. But now I kind of only have people in my life who accept who I am and kind of what I'm about. And it's really fulfilling. And our final question. What did you miss most during lockdown? I missed my mother most during lockdown because she lives in Cork and I live in Dublin and the kilometre limit... Um, yeah, the kilometre limit didn't let me go down and I missed her a lot and the casual comfort of just being able to travel home on a whim and hang out with her. So that was definitely what I missed and it's what I'm most grateful for now and I won't... I'm hoping trying to hang on to that gratitude and not letting it um, not letting it slip because I do think at any time we could go back into that lockdown again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I will do another mailbag episode in a couple of weeks so keep an eye out on Instagram at Stephanie Preisner for my question box. Um, our graphic on our lovely little logo is is uh, is designed by Carlo Gara, aka the boy housemate, who is now no longer the boy housemate. He's just the boy mate, but um, we love him all the same. And our music is by Only Ruin. This is a Headstuff Network podcast, and is produced by Alan Bennett. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.